This episode is brought to you by Stamps.com. Going to the post office can be stressful at times, but luckily there's Stamps.com to make your postal service and UBS shipping a whole lot easier. No special equipment or anything. All you need is a computer and standard printer, then you'll be ready to send any letter or package anywhere you want. Once your mail is ready, simply schedule a pickup or drop-off to avoid any shipping confusion using their new rate advisor to find the best option right for you. Best of all, you'll be saving time and money without any risk. Click the link down below and use the code POD to receive a special offer that includes a 4-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone on top of the homepage, and type in POD. That's Stamps.com, promo code POD. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Hello, geeks and gamers alike. This is Eric from Geeks Crossing, and I'm super excited for today's episode. It's November after the making of this episode, and we're currently in the year 2021. And if you're a hardcore Nintendo fan like myself, you know exactly where I'm coming from. This year marks the 20th anniversary of Super Smash Brothers Melee! Yes, November 2001, Super Smash Bros. Melee was released, and needless to say, it became a huge success. No joke, I fucking love this game so much. I've expressed my love towards this game many times on the podcast. I did an episode recapping my favorite stages, it was ranked number 1 in my top 10 favorite GameCube games, and it introduced me not just to Smash Bros, but fighting games as a whole. Obviously, I have no problem going back to this game whenever I can. What about from a general standpoint? Is Melee worth replaying after 20 years? Because I know some people stop playing this game in favor of Smash Bros Ultimate. I don't blame them because that game is fan-fucking-tastic, yet I see myself constantly going back to Melee every now and then. But why, Eric? Why do you keep going back to this game? I think the best way to explain that is by doing a retrospective. I mean, I already mentioned that in past episodes, so this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. It's been two decades since Melee's initial launch, but does it still hold up well? Let's find out. Before I get to the game itself, I think I should mention the game's brutal as fuck development. The original Super Smash Bros., or Smash 64 as the fanbase calls it, released in 1999 for the N64. The game was so successful that game director Masahiro Sakurai and his team from HAL Laboratory began working on a sequel immediately. Sakurai was committed to finishing this game in less than two years, so much so that he only took a single day off each week and no holiday breaks, even developing a few health problems along the way, which took a heavy toll in development for future games. Melee was first revealed at E3 2001, and was meant to be a secondary launch title alongside Luigi's Mansion. Yeah, Luigi having his first solo game was cool and all, but another game where characters like Mario and Pikachu can beat the living shit out of each other? Sorry Luigi, that was more hype-worthy. <laughs> the game was eventually released in November for Japan, and December for North America, with Sakurai hoping that all his pain and suffering will pay off. I mean, I thought so, but that's just me acting biased. <laughs> anyway, let's start with the story. Pfft, what story? There's no fucking plot or lore in these games. Okay, there is, but it hardly matters. At least for the first two games. In Smash 64, the fighters for toys were rebelled against their owner, i.e. Masterhand. In this game, the fighters are trophies who once again rise up to fight Masterhand and his new comrade, Crazy Hand. And, yeah, that's pretty much it. No exposition, no in-depth character arcs, or any of that shit. Because 99.9999% of this game is just you and other fighters selling your differences in a series of matches. But I will say, the opening cinematics knows how to deliver hype. Seriously, this intro is so fucking awesome. Even today, it still captivates me with its visuals and music, really accentuating that Smash has moved on from its polygon beginnings. 
Speaking of the fighters, I think it's time to mention them. Right off the bat, 10 of the 12 original fighters from Smash 64 are available right from the start. Such as Mario, Donkey Kong, Link, Samus, Kirby, Yoshi, Fox, Pikachu, Captain Falcon, and Ness. But that's not all. A few more fighters were added to the roster. We have Peach, Bowser, Zelda slash Sheik, and the Ice Climbers. Obviously, I had no idea who the fuck the Ice Climbers were, but hey, they wanted a character, or characters, from the 80s, so I guess more power to them. But in true Smash Bros. fashion, more characters can be unlocked the more you play. Of course, we have Luigi and Jigglypuff, who are unlockables during the first game. Then there's Dr. Mario, Young Link, Ganondorf, Falco, Marth, Roy, Pichu, Mewtwo, and even Mr. Game & Watch. Not gonna lie, it's weird as hell to see Dr. Mario and Young Link beat their own characters, but I've quickly grown to accept it. Besides, if there's one thing I've learned from Smash, is that you can never have too many clone characters. I know, the proper term is Echo Fighters. Though technically, Dr. Mario, Young Link, and Pichu aren't classified as Echoes, despite sharing the same movesets and... Eric, we're not talking about Smash Ultimate and how overrated it is, we're talking about Melee and why it's the best, and also overrated. <laughs> Actually, Dr. Mario proved to be a lot better than regular Mario, though I can't say the same thing for Young Link. Like most North Americans, I was perplexed upon seeing Martha and Roy for the first time. I was like, who the hell are these two, and what's Fire Emblem? Until I learned Fire Emblem was a game that was originally a Japan exclusive game, and Sakurai added those two in order to promote the series in North America. Good call, Sakurai. Because thanks to this game, people can't get enough of Fire Emblem, and nearly every game is getting localized. Mr. Game & Watch was another character I wasn't familiar with, until I learned he debuted from the Game & Watch handhelds from the 80s, and he's technically the first and OG Nintendo character. How's that for recognition? What also makes him stand out is that Game & Watch is completely 2D while everyone else has a 3D appearance. Okay, technically he has a 3D model when you look at his trophy, but goddammit, I just want to feel visually impressed. Anyway, the way you unlock these characters is by doing various single-player modes, whether that be doing a bunch of versus matches, beating Classic or Adventure mode a certain number of times, or by completing a certain event in either Stadium or, well, Event Match. Let's be honest, we all left our GameCubes on overnight so we reached that 20 hours of playtime in order to lock Mewtwo. No joke, I almost shit my pants the first time I saw Mewtwo in this game, because I knew playing this game for endless hours would eventually pay off. More importantly, how do these characters function in terms of gameplay? as Melee takes the mechanics of Smash 64, but amplifies it. Not only does each character have a basic punch, grab, tilt, or dash moves, but new special moves players can utilize, mainly side specials. In Smash 64, the fighters can only use specials when you hold the analog stick up or down. Now, when you hold to the left or right, another special move can be unleashed. For example, Mario and Dr. Mario can use a cape to reflect projectiles, Pikachu and Pichu can use Skull Bash for attack or recovery means, the amount of power and distance will differ depending on how long you hold down the B button. Yoshi can do an egg roll. Literally, he hides inside a giant egg and rolls around. And so much more that you really need to experience it yourselves. And if you play this game competitively like me, then you'll know that this game introduced all sorts of BS mechanics that players love to abuse. Wave dashing, sidestepping, edge guarding, stage humping, you name all that shit. I've experienced them all, and I abused them all, which is something I'm ashamed and proud of. Usually, I'm the type of player that likes to experiment with each character, though after playing this game for years, I can honestly say the characters I mostly use are Pikachu, Marth, and Dr. Mario. But every now and then, I see myself using Falco, Mr. Game & Watch, Roy, and Pichu. Although Roy feels like a shitty version of Marth at first, and after seeing the way my friend Gabe plays Pichu, I felt mortified. Shout out to Gabe, even though your Pichu has caused me a lot of pain and misery. <laughs> Another thing that makes Smash Bros. stand out are the items. We of course have returning items like the Pokeballs, Beam Sword, and Home Run Bat, but now you can become invisible with the cloaking device, 
grow or shrink with the super and poison mushrooms respectively. Hell, you can even use Kirby's Warp Star. Good luck controlling it though. <laughs> As a kid, I used to play with items all the time, but now I prefer fighting more straightforward. That means no items whatsoever. But once in a while they can be fun. Who knows, maybe I'll throw you item lovers a backbone by ranking them, but I can't make any promises. Unfortunately, I was too poor to afford another controller, so if I ever wanted to play this game with my friends, they would have to bring their own controllers, or I would have to bring mine. Thankfully, we live in a time where GameCube controllers are at most $15, unless we're talking about special branded ones, and yeah, they can be expensive as fuck. Without friends to play with, most of my attention was put towards the single player content. Thankfully, there's a lot for players to choose from. Back from the original game, we have Classic Mode, where you pick a fighter and go through a series of fights, from simple 1v1s to team battles to fighting a giant multi or metal characters. In between all that, there's also bonus stages, like target tests, snag the trophies, and race to the finish, all of which are self-explanatory really, but I'll go into more detail on the first two ones later. And I know I'm not the only one who tried reaching the last possible exit in race to the finish. Needless to say, I failed many, many times in the past, but the moment I did, it was fucking worth it. This all led to the fight against the one and only Master Hand, I know, Smash Ultimate already confirmed that there's more than one Master Hand, but goddammit, can we just pretend that Smash Ultimate didn't exist yet? Anyway, Master Hand still offers a great challenge. However, if you're playing on a higher difficulty, Crazy Hand will come out and lend a hand. <laughs> get it? Because they're helping each other, and they're both hands? I'll see myself out after this. <laughs> anyway, you can imagine how terrified and amazed I was to see another giant white hand trying to kill me. Don't let his constant twitching fool you, though. His attacks are much more dangerous and erratic, I mean, he's called Crazy Ham for a reason. In the end, I pulled through. Classic mode is still a lot of fun, but Adventure mode is what I saw myself playing the most. You pick a fighter and travel through the home worlds of each respective franchise, except for Fire Emblem and Game & Watch. Starting from the Mushroom Kingdom where you fight your way to the flag post, but not before killing the entire Yoshi population, leading you to a fight with Peach and Mario, or Luigi depending on your time. Congo Jungle where you fight too many Donkey Kongs and a giant one afterwards, Next, there's the underground maze where you have to find the Triforce. However, this place is infested with Red Deads, Octoroks, and like likes, and 5 out of the 6 rooms have a Master Sword, which will trigger a fight with Link. Bro, I just want to find the fucking Triforce, and instead, I'm picking fights with Link and getting raped by these ugly ass creatures. You want my advice? If you see the Master Sword, just run away. It'll save you a lot of time, I can personally tell you that. However, Zelda's not letting you leave her castle without a fight. Afterwards, you end up on Planet Zeeves in Brinstar, where you fight Samus. Her defeat will trigger Zeeves to explode, leaving you only 40 seconds to escape. Again, not the biggest Metroid fan, so I wouldn't know if this was a reference or not. Maybe someone from the Discord server will let me know. After Zeeves explodes, you find yourself in Dreamland, or Green Greens, where you fight its lord and savior, Kirby, then multiple Kirbys, and then a giant one if you beat the multiple ones too fast. You can't make this shit up. Suddenly, you find yourself riding on top of Corneria. Fox doesn't like stowaways, which means it's fight time. But with every fox, there's a pack, and the Star Fox gang will show up and blast your ass while you're fighting Fox or Falco, depending on your time of course. Next, there's Pokemon Stadium where a whole bunch of Pikachu and occasionally Jigglypuff start to get all territorial. Imagine all the spectators who pay to watch Pokemon battles, instead they're watching pyrotechnic plumbers and guys with swords being the shit out of Pokemon. <laughs> we then switch gears into the F-Zero Grand Prix where you have to reach the finish line before getting run over. Captain Falcon is obviously pissed off about your interference, and wants to escort you off the racetrack personally. Once he's finished, you decide to make a pit stop at the local drugstore and own it, but you're stopped by not one, not two, but three different nests. Shouldn't you kids be using your psychic powers to stop a black van that's driving recklessly instead of a guy going inside a drugstore? Anyway, Ona is full of assholes and I decided to climb Icicle Mountain because why the hell not? 
Sadly, the Ice Climbers are also very territorial, and will stop at nothing until you follow your doom. Battlefield from the original game is your next stop, and there you have to fight 15 of the fighting Ryer frames, and then the Metal Mario Bros. Although, if you're playing this mode before unlocking Luigi, it'll just be Mario. At long last, we reached our final stop. Final destination. You guys know I love this stage with a passion. There you fight Bowser, but much like in classic mode, something special will happen if you're playing on a higher difficulty. Just when you think it's all over, Bowser's trophy will rise from the bottomless pit and become Giga Bowser. This is one of the coolest fucking things I've ever seen while playing this game. And even today, that cutscene still gives me chills. And needless to say, Giga Bowser was an amazing final challenge. Oh yeah, I can't forget about the credits where you get to shoot all the text and images while listening to a song from whatever game your fighter originates from. After every character is unlocked, you have access to All-Star Mode, where you get to fight all the characters in an arbitrary order. And in between each fight, you find yourself in the rest area with hearts to refill your percentage if you desire. Usually I try my best not to use those hearts, but hey, free recoveries. I'll say it once and I'll say it again, the rest area is fucking incredible. Right down from its park motif and captivating music. My god, they don't call this the rest area for nothing. This sounds like a lot for single player content. Trust me, that's only half of it. Next, we have event matches where you have to complete a match with certain restrictions. Like you have to play as Luigi to avoid Dr. Mario and White Peach at all costs. Or you can play as any character to fight Pikachu, but you can only use Pokeballs to attack. Believe me, there's so many different events for me to go over that they deserve its own episode. Who knows, maybe I'll do an episode about that. Probably the most well-known events are numbers 50 where you fight Master and Crazy Ant at full health. And 51 where you fight Giga Bowser, Ganondorf, and Mewtwo. Those events traumatized me as a kid, but eventually I prevailed. Stadium was pretty fun as well. First, we have the returning target test where you have to break 10 targets under a time limit. Basically, another chance to break the targets if you fail during classic mode. And thank god for that, because Youngling's target stage fucking sucks. Next up, home run contest, where you have to keep damaging the sandbag enough to see how far you can send it flying. Lastly, there's multi-man melee, all in which facing the fighting wireframes, you can fight up to 10 or hundreds of these guys, see how many you can defeat in 3 or 15 minutes, fight them in an endless loop, and of course, Cruel Smash, where they hold nothing back and obliterate you as soon as the match starts. Yeah, I will recommend this mode unless you love challenging yourself. There's also training mode, but that speaks for itself. It's funny that I keep mentioning trophies because there's more to them. Trophies serve as collectibles in this game. Of course, the fighter ones can be achieved through single player modes, but others can be unlocked through many different methods, like how many matches you did in versus mode, the amount of time spent while playing this game. Hell, they even show up randomly in adventure mode. You can even use the coins you earn to purchase them at the lottery and hope to find something rare. The key word is hope, because chances are, you'll be getting Goomba Trophy number 69. <laughs> But in the end, it's worth it because you get to see all your trophies be displayed on the tables and collections. There, you can see a whole bunch of Nintendo systems in the background, such as the NES, Game Boy, SNES, Game Boy Color, the N64 with a copy of Smash 64 inside, Game Boy Advance, and of course, the GameCube. As a guy who loves easter eggs, this easily caught my attention. Next, there's Data Mode, which allows you to view your progress and archives, including the special movie that was meant to promote the game. Last but not least, there's options, where you test the rumbling on your controller, the sound and screen perception, an option where you can switch the language to Japanese, I used to do that for shits and giggles. <laughs> or, if you're willing to erase all your records and progress you made, there's an option for that too. I don't know why anyone would fucking do that, but hey, at least they gave you the option. And yeah, that's pretty much Melee in a nutshell. But going back to what I said before, does Melee still hold up after 20 years? Fuck yeah, easily. And I'm not just saying that because I love this game, but think about how much of an impact this game left, both in terms of gameplay and reception, 
Even today, Melee finds itself in tournaments, conventions, and all over the internet. Although some people love to criticize this game for how rushed the development was. And yeah, I'll admit, you can tell some parts felt very rushed. But you know what? I don't give a shit. The fact that Sakurai built this game from the ground up and finished it in under two years, that's fucking impressive. And come on, it could have been a lot worse. Yet, Sakurai kept pushing himself and made it the best it could be, and I couldn't be more grateful. Yes, Melee is also very overrated. Again, don't give a shit, because it deserves all the praise it's given. I'll always cherish the memories I have of this game, and as much as I enjoy its sequels, they'll never have the same nostalgic value I have towards Melee. Without this game, Smash Bros. won't be nearly as popular as it is now, unless you're Ultimate and you keep winning people over because of fan service. <laughs> if you haven't played Super Smash Bros. Melee, I highly recommend it because you missed out big time. Or if you have a GameCube and Melee somewhere in storage, go play it right now, especially now that it's turned 20. You just listened to another Geeks Crossing podcast. Do you think Melee still holds up after all these years? Tell us in our Discord server and follow our Instagram page at Geeks Crossing. Continue to support us on all available platforms such as Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and even iHeartRadio. Thank you for listening and stay true to your geek selves.